Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. And I'm here to say that this is the end of season five, my friend. This is it, Jason. Jason Johnston Yellen, my dear friend, my business partner, my my most things. Uh, we have started... What I what I like to refer to as <laughs> the final season of episode five, or the final episode of season five, and it's the mailbag mailbag episode. <laughs> I'm having a real tough time with my mouth and the English language today, as you could tell. I'm going to hazard a guess. It's because you haven't had a whiskey yet. It's because I haven't had a whiskey. However, I have just poured. What you have just poured, and have you seen my glass? I did. I just saw when you when you held it up to your nose. There, you have your broken-hearted Jason Glencairn. I have my broken-hearted Joshua Glencairn, and they were a wonderful gift from Travis Williams. Ah. Thank you again, Travis. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I feel like I feel like all we need to do is together say Wonder Twin Powers activate take form of a whale and then you have to take form of some sort of elemental object oh it can be a dragon i thought we were taking shapes as decreed by the editorial board of the pittsburgh post gazette (laughs) take form of a pink elephant (laughs) as soon as you went with white whale i was like i know who we're talking about but i can be a dragon (sighs) yeah so so I have to say, Joshua, yeah. these, these many months we have been dealing with, in your introduction, mm-hmm. Jason Johnston Yellen, mm-hmm. Jason, three names, mm-hmm. and, and our, our very dear, our very beloved James Foster has been lighting up the inbox with logical concerns about this, this moniker. Okay. Um, and now yeah. that this is the mailbag episode. Okay, I was waiting we for We are a, going to yeah. release the James Foster Kraken from the inbox purgatory. So 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 here we are. Last episode of season five, the fifth mailbag <laughs> episode, and we are launching that episode with James Foster's Kraken. We are. We are. It's always the cracking with James. So the subject here is three names, question mark, nope, period. It's a significant subject, isn't it? Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. So, so we, we don't normally throw the, the dates in, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give dates in just a moment here because for a reason. But James simply wrote... Sorry, period. Jason, that's in quotation marks, that's in air quotes, with a period. Johnston, air quotes, with a period. Mm -hmm. Yellen, air quotes, with a period. Jason, three names, air quotes. That's four names. Unless you mean Jason, comma, Johnston Yellen, comma, 
and Jason three names, but then Jason Johnston Yellen would be incorrect. Oh my God. (laughs) Why did you choose the one email that breaks my brain? So, so here's, here's why I chose to do it this way. Okay. Because we are, we are entering into the mailbag episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where we are going to be covered in questions. <laughs> We're going to have questions dripping off of us Pour by the end of this episode. questions on me. <laughs> and so I thought this would be like mental yoga for us. Oh. This would just get us exercising the brain, warming up the brain, stretching out the brain okay. right. in anticipation of a lot of questions. So I did say I was going to share some, some dates here. So the email that I just read came in November 5th mm-hmm. and and we ignored it. We were like, well, was we're not Fox touching Day, that. Right? We yeah, we're not touching that yeah. anytime soon. Okay. And we did, right? We said to ourselves, remember, remember the James Foster three names email. From is the 5th of November, yes. Yep. From the 5th of November. Yep. So by December 23rd, James had decided he'd had enough. This this had not been covered. <laughs> I continued to be introduced as Jason Three Names, and he clearly has to throw his ham radio at the wall every time he hears this nonsense. So, so on December 23rd, he wrote, in case you tried, and I love that there's no salutation, he just... There's not even a capital letter here. He just dives in the middle of a sentence here. Oh, that's serious. Okay, okay. In case you try to get out of the issue I raised by saying Johnston Yellen and Jason three names are hyphenated, because if they are not, then the latter name is incorrect. The first time you called that guy that thing, I'm the guy here. Okay. The first time you called that guy that thing, Mm -hmm. it was false. It only became true because you gave a guy with two names one more name. That is, and this this is serious, there's an exclamation point at the end of this. That is, you lied to us. (laughs) So here's the the thing. At this point, I want to say... Boy, this uh-huh. guy's fun at parties. But I've drunk with him. I know he is fun at parties. <laughs> oh, I've, I've known. I was thinking about this in anticipation of of covering this email today. I've known James for nearly twenty years. Yeah, and this might be the most James Foster thing he's ever done. <laughs> this is yeah, so on brand. I love, I love it. it. So, 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 right after saying you lied to us, he goes on to say, worse. Oh boy. Since it was false, it couldn't have been true. Which means Jason three names was misattributed. Therefore, it isn't truly one of his names. Ergo, by the reduction via hyphens hypothesis, oh my God. <laughs> he has only two names. Logically yours? Whatever I call you in private, James. Wow. Wow. That so there you is, go. That, I, I, I feel not only did we get a, a, a set of emails, but we also got a lesson in pedanticism. <laughs> if that's a word. 
<laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> but hopefully people know what I mean. That's going to lead to an email. <laughs> <laughs> Pedanticism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what what I like about this, and you you and I in recent episodes have, have talked about Zeno's paradox, yep. right? Yeah. And the idea that you can actually never get to a final destination because you're only ever covering increasingly smaller fractions mm-hmm. of space time. Um, but what I like about it is, Jason three names didn't exist until Jason three names was used, because Jason Johnston Yellen became. The two names that led up to the three names. However, mm. as your middle name is Morrissey, my middle name is Neil. And so we did cover Jason Neil Johnston Yellen, ah, so where the Johnston Yellen is hyphenated. So that's the three names. It just to be. But then yeah. James's concern is, go ahead, go ahead. but then if you create the nickname Jason three names, that's a fourth name. So I'm no longer Jason three names because I'm. Jason, Neil, Johnston, Yellen, mm-hmm. and Jason, three names. That's four. I would really enjoy moving on to the next email. <laughs> here's, here's a high and tight one for you. Okay, Jelani Alexander okay. asks, Hey, J and J and J. Mm. I think if I'm doing this right, all three of those are attributed to me now, right? Mm. <laughs> Joshua Jurassy Jatton. I think that's what it was. <laughs> here, here it comes. Here it comes. High and tight. Any chance of a Springbank release from you guys in the future? Love your bottlings. Keep it up, Jelani. Wow. Wow. The anti-Foster. The anti-Foster. Yeah. Listen, um, it's tough, man. You know, I, we've talked about it on the podcast. And I feel as if we've been guests on other people's podcasts where we, we've talked about this a little bit as well, where if you had asked, Jelani, if you had asked that question five years ago, four years ago, we would have said, yep, we could definitely get a spring bank, but the pricing just seems kind of ridiculous. It's kind of high, you know, may, may, you know, for a, for a, an 18-year-old spring bank, we'd probably have to charge 250 pounds or or $400. And it just didn't seem, it didn't seem of, of value. And then, but, you know, we said, you know what, Let, let's keep our eyes open. But then as time goes on, the number of spring bank casks available is reduced and the cost associated with the spring bank cask only goes up a really good example and, and without going into too much depth i remember a period of time and this is probably across three to four months jason where you me and jess were looking at price lists and we saw a spring bank cask for around fifty-five thousand pounds somewhere around there and Fast forward just a few months, and we see a similar cask, not the same cask, but a similar cask for 250,000 pounds. And that's from a broker. That's, you know, we go to brokers to buy these casks, and they're selling casks at what we would call punter pricing or quote unquote cask investment pricing. And 
the, the brokers don't own that cask. So they're probably selling it on for a private owner, and that private owner is trying to take take a chance on a, on a much higher price cask in the hopes that another private owner will buy it as a prestige piece or something like that. Really, really, really quick example. Someone had posted on the Facebooks uh, just, just last week about a cask of 11-year-old unpeated bourbon cask Brooklady that was being sold for 31,000 pounds, and you get, you know, let's call it 185 bottles. I did the math backwards, compared it to another independently bottled Brooklady, and to match that price on the Whiskey, Whiskey Exchange's website, we would have to buy that cask for 11,000 pounds. So the cask was priced 20,000 pounds too high for a bottler to sell it competitively. And so now let's go back to that number of a 250,000 pound spring bank. <laughs> it's, it's just not going to happen. So we continue to look out there. We've got some contacts, people who have private casks and maybe they'll be interested in selling it off at some point and we always keep our eyes open for it but i i, d- I don't have the highest of hopes jason uh, did you want to add anything to that yeah we're not in a window right now that's really suggesting that a spring bank will be forthcoming but i i think the point to take away from your responses, we are always looking. Our eyes are always peeled. And it is something we would love, love, love to put in Single Cast Nation livery and, and sing about its release from the rooftops. But that day is not now. And and the fact of the matter is, you know, we, we've run into situations like this before where we worked with a distillery who's willing to sell to us. And while we selected a cask, in the end, we said no to it because an 18-year-old single cask would have been $350-ish or so. And at that time, we just said, and I think even to this day, I think that's too much for a single cask of 18-year-old whiskey, right? We've always aimed for that $10 per year bogey, unless it's like an bag or a Macallan or, you know, something like this. But but I think you raised the point right there where $10 a year is going the way of the dodo, right? Even that oh, yeah. simple yeah, yeah, yeah. target is is ultimately going away. And it's a question of can you get casts that let you do it at $11 per year of maturation, $12 per year of maturation. The, yeah, the, the market is ra- rapidly, I was going to say radically, which is also true, but it, it is rapidly changing, and and we're trying to make our way in this world, which brings us perfectly to the question you're about to read from Colin of the Plural Mayors. So the email has three questions on it, and well, I don't know if we're going to seriously answer all three, but you'll see, you'll see what I mean when we get there. <laughs> so it says, uh, are, are we going to? Are we going to answer them one at a time, or do you want to read all three and then we'll go back? Well, you know what? Let's answer them one at a time. Why not? Okay. Okay. Hello, J&J. Just a few questions from me for the mailbag episode. And, and Colin, th- thanks again for for reaching out. He, he's he been really good 
about reaching out. Really good interaction from him. So I'm very nice. excited. Good lad. Question number one. What would be easier and what would be harder about starting Single Cask Nation in 2022 compared <laughs> to when you started? <laughs> and what would you do differently if you were starting in an independent bottling company today? <laughs> it really does flow from, uh, from what we just talked about <laughs> a second ago. Uh-huh. Um, I think what would be harder about starting it now mm-hmm. is I think we would need more money behind us now than we had a decade ago, partly because of what I'm just saying a moment ago about the price of casks. Yeah, You just simply need more upfront money to go about buying those casks. Mm-hmm. I think the other part that would be harder is you and I parlayed whiskey relationships, industry relationships into meetings in Scotland mm-hmm. where we were then able to talk about bottling and representing brands here in the United States. And I, you know, clearly the, the people we spoke to um, were receptive to that type of messaging. And I think the industry now is so protective of their own brands and their own branding Mm -hmm. that I think we would have a harder time finding distillers welcoming that additional representation of their brand, certainly in Scotland. Yeah. I think what we've now witnessed over the 10 years in building Single Cast Nation is we've got American producers who say, oh, I'd love to put something in front of the nation. I would love for something to be selected from my distillery that would show the nation what we can do. Yep. Whereas I, I, you know, I don't think Scotch uh, is feeling a, a similar way. You know, some, some are, some, some yeah, are. It's, it's interesting the way you frame that because, you know, early on, we would reach out to distilleries and, and they understood the request. We're an independent bottler looking to purchase some of your whiskey to put it in our bottles, all our own livery. We'll highlight your distillery name and we'll, we'll sing your praises. And, and we've stuck to that. And, you know, our partners in Scotland saw it. They understood it. That's how the industry was built from independent bottling. So it, it wasn't... You know, they just weren't a stranger to the idea where here in the U.S., I, I, I feel, you know, 10, 11 years ago when we started this, they're like, wait a second, you want us to sell you our liquid and you want to list our name? You don't want to create a brand around the liquid we're selling to you? No, 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 we love your liquid and we want, we want to, you know, sing your praises. We want to tell everybody how great this distillery is and that distillery is, and it was, it was, you know, a few shut doors here and there, you know, thankfully Heaven Hill, Wild Turkey, uh, you know, at least when it comes to bourbon, were, were two distilleries that saw it and said, okay, yeah, let's, let's work together. 
and then and then the bourbon craze happened, and and we mm-hmm. lost access to some stuff. Uh, but mm-hmm. as the bourbon craze was going up, the craft distillery craze was going up as well. So now it's the craft distilleries that are saying, "Hey, like you had said, we're really interested in putting our liquid in front of your nation members." So, so I kind of like that. Um, I tell you, one of the things that I would have done differently is I would have made sure we bought a lot more stock, right? So I was going to give that same answer, but it's not one of the questions. (laughs) He says, what would you have done differently? If if you were starting starting it. There's a whole other sentence after that, yeah. Ah. Because I I agree wholeheartedly, right? As as soon as we hear, what would you do differently if you could go back 10 years? Absolutely. You and I both say, gosh, we would buy all the things. I would. I don't even know how I would get the money, but I would buy all the things, right? And so that's why I was kind of attuned to the rest of that question. What would you do differently if you were starting an independent bottling company today? Today, given today's climate... 100%. 100%. Yep. 100%. I would likely reconsider getting into independent bottling. So that's also my answer. And I didn't <laughs> know if that was going to be a controversial answer or not. And, and so partly it's, for, for me, it's the lay of the land. It's yeah. the cost of casks. It's the investment market. Um, but it's also how many independent bottlers there are. When when we came together to do this, 2010 was the conversation, it was all the Scottish players who were decades old and in some cases a century plus old, mm-hmm. and there was nobody in the US doing what we were looking to do. Yes, there was the SMWS doing their version right. Wild of Scotsman independent for bottling. A bit. Yeah. Right. Right. But the way you and I conceived of this company, it was to be an independent bottler in the Douglas Lang tradition, in the Gordon and McPhail tradition, in the Cadenheads tradition. Like that's what we were looking to establish. Mm-hmm. And now there are so many, I don't know if I would want to throw my hat into the ring. Well, yeah. Yeah. There's just far less liquid on the market. There's far less well priced, now I shouldn't say well priced, I should say fair priced liquid on the market. <laughs> Again, back, back to this thing that, that I may be belly aching throughout <laughs> the entire episode. And we mentioned this in our conversation with David Sterk and Mark Watt. You know, there I've seen some Glenn Talkers, 2008 Glenn Talkers, that Exclusive Malts bottled a few of them. And you were able to get it onto a U.S. store shelf for $80, maybe $85. And based on the pricing that we had seen, the same casks or similar style around the same age First fill sherry butts, it'd be around a $300 bottle for eight-year-old Glenn talkers that no one's heard of. This is the problem that we're facing now, but we're established, so we have other lines to, to other stock. But to someone just getting into this game, 
you know, we spent years establishing relationships and gaining new relationships and going, you know, from word of mouth to word of mouth. It's okay to sell these guys. These guys are good. They'll, you know, they pay their bills. They're fair, blah, blah, blah. It's not just easy access and it's not just how much competition you have, but there's those number of years that you spend just gaining a reputation to get the access to the stock. And I, I just think exactly. anybody starting today would have more than an uphill battle, more than an uphill battle. Yep, those reputations are absolutely key. Absolutely key. Ah, huh. okay. Yep. So, <laughs> question... Um, second question? <laughs> question number two from uh, Colin, the, the pluralized mares. Is are there any whiskey podcasts or online whiskey content that you listen to regularly or follow closely? I've got my answers. Yeah, go for it. Let's hear you. I actually make it a point to avoid as many whiskey podcasts and online content as I can because... And that's not the end of my answer because there are things that I listen to and there are sites that I that I frequent. But the reason I do this is I've got two jobs that involve whiskey. And then I have an absolutely unwavering obsession with whiskey. And if I don't find areas where I can limit the amount I obsess about whiskey, I'm just going to, I'm, I'll, I'll be like that guy in that Lafroig review video where you see his wife packing her bags and leaving the door <laughs> while he's reviewing Lafroig 10 cask strength. You know, so I, so I have to find this sort of happy medium. So, so I really tr try not to, to look for many podcasts. However, however, there are two that I listen to with, with a degree of regularity, and they are uh, Cask Chasers. I, I really like those guys, Aaron and Bobby and Katie. They all they all do a great job. Um, it's lighthearted. It's fun. It's a nice a nice approach to the conversation. And then the other one is called Whiskey in the Arts, and that's by Dan Kroll of Glenmorangie and. Part of the mm. reason I like that, he, he's a drummer, he's a musician, and he's into punk and prog and hardcore and, you know, you name it, jazz, funk, whatever. And and so is Kurt, who's his co-host. You know, they're really music nerds, and I enjoy that. I like being able to hear a conversation that isn't straight-up whiskey obsession, but we're also talking about music and art and ways to communicate through those mediums like I like that it's a different approach to a whiskey conversation so so those are the podcasts that I listen to with regularity as far as blogs go whiskey fun with Serge Valentin and whiskey notes with with Ruben um, I'm there almost every day uh, and sharing notes with Ruben I'm there almost every day I occasionally watch the Scotch Test Dummies. I, I like those guys. We we had um, our chat with them a few years back, and so every once in a while I, I pop did. in and, and check out some of their stuff. But I'm not a YouTube guy, so it's, it's 
you know, I have to purposely be seeking that out because I'm not actively on YouTube. So, so those are my things. What about you, Jason? Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. The whiskey fun is one that I, I dip a toe in. Ruben's whiskey notes is probably the one I I go to the most. But I know that Ruben really loves the old stuff and I really love the young stuff. And so I really enjoy his notes, but I don't necessarily buy on the back of his notes. Mm -hmm. But I I definitely like seeing what he's up to. And then I still like Matt and Karen at Whiskey for Everyone. Um, I I first met them over a decade ago. Gosh, 2009, 10, 11, something like that. Had a blast with them. And so I... I like the ones where I know the people and and I've got that additional connection. Would you, is there anyone you'd buy off the back of? Like, I, I feel as if I would buy and have bought off the back of a Ruben review or a Serge review. Uh, I've bought off the back of some of Bozzy's reviews, right? Um, I, I think he's got really interesting tasting notes. He and I don't agree on Sherry, but, but that's that's another story, but... I would say I've bought on the back of those three. Have you bought on the back of, of any? I wouldn't buy on the back of a single review by anybody. Okay. But if I started to see reviewers that I trust or who I know I, I have something in common with palette-wise, yeah. I would certainly bring those recommendations together uh, and perhaps pick up something. Mm. Do you ever buy on the back of... of an award or, or just even like a like a blogger top 10 when they get to their their bottle of the year do you ever go out and buy on the strength of that i would say that a top 10 or an award may help pique my interest but i don't know if i've ever gone out and i've never gone out on the back of an award it's always piqued my interest but but kind of like you had said you know it's you're just trusting someone else's palate and, and it may be good or it may not. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I think it, I think it'll play a factor, but I've never simply bought off, oh, these guys won a double gold. Boom, I've got to get that. I know people do do that, and I'm, I'm not going to knock them for doing that. Some people need that like confirmation that, hey, other people think that this is good. Maybe I'll give it a go especially if you're learning about whiskey or just learning about that distillery, it's nice to have an entry point into that distillery so I can appreciate that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the episode we did where we we each listed five whiskeys that we thought you should put on a shelf and they were all super affordable offerings. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that served that purpose yeah. of, hey, if you're looking to get into this, you want to immediately put five or seven or ten things on a shelf – Here's where we think you could spend your money quite well, but mm-hmm. it's it, it's not a, a be all end all, and hopefully we echoed some things that other people had heard. So, yeah. so there you go. Yeah, podcasts. All my podcasts have fallen by the wayside without any travel, and so I've oh, there you I'm go. nothing. I'm I'm behind on literally everything, and and like you, we're so deep in whiskey all the time that I, I like listening to comedies or or interviews or. Things that things that get me away from yeah. from whiskey for a for a wee break. Um, okay, third and final question and from final the, question. the plural mayors. This one may be the most difficult question to answer, Jason. 
What was your favorite avocado spirit of 2021? <laughs> there can be only one. <laughs> Abacati. So for, for the listeners that don't recall uh, or need a reminder, uh, our friend Colin uh, had, had, was kind enough to gift us a bottle of this avocado spirit called Abacati, which is an avocado spirit made in Germany in the Brazilian tradition. <laughs> and I kept dropping the ball and, and getting Jason a sample of it. But I did bring the <laughs> bottle with me down to PA to drink with Jason and with our friends um, at the Water of Life film crew. So that, so that was good. I still love that. I, this summer, I'm going to be making some cocktails with that. See what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate Colin sharing that with us. That was a ton of fun. Cheers, man. There we go. Is that him? He's out of there on that yeah, email? That's it. Yeah, three questions. Done and dusted. How does he sign it? Oh, he signs it. Slanja, plural. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, I'm so glad you reminded me to look at that. I, I remember now laughing out loud reading that. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so from so from down there to up here, we're going to bring this back to uh, to New York City with Pinchas Chain. Ah, Pinchas. Which Pinchas? So and he he opens this really terrifically. Dear J J J and E J, large <laughs> E, small J. We've been grappling with Elijah's name, and I've I've been calling him. Ja, ja, since he joined the company, just you know, Elijah often gets shortened to Eli, but you can also shorten it to to Ja. Yeah, Ja right? rule. I mean, that's pretty right. common, right? But I think calling him EJ makes good sense. Yes, right? EJ. Take you're, advantage you're of the first. Elijah, the Eli, the Eli, and the Ja. All right, everybody who's listening, when you see Elijah on the road, please start referring to him as EJ. Perfect. Perfect. EJ. Love it. So th- this this one is also pretty. Short and sweet here. What does the whiskey community, and he, he includes both the non and the, the E varieties there, mm-hmm. what does the whiskey community, both from distilleries, independent bottlers, blenders, quote unquote, like barrel, as in the people we might know as barrel bourbon, how do all those communities feel about finishings for bourbon? I thought it was great until I saw this YouTube video that my friend sent me. It seems like a big scam. And then he sends the YouTube link in in preparing for today's episode. We have not watched that YouTube video. But I think it speaks to YouTube, right? Which is, oh, I thought it was great. And then my mind was changed by something (laughs) a friend sent me. Someone said something on YouTube and you need to pay attention to it because they've done the research. But, but it's funny, actually, we, we talk about Ruben, and I actually just saw Ruben mentioning this on, on Twitter just today, is, and I think this is what, what Pinkus might be alluding to here, but there's a sense that we only finish whiskey mm-hmm. that's garbage, right? Because if it was good, why, why would, would you, you need finish to finish it? Yeah, it? And, and I think that's starting to take a little bit of a foothold I don't think it's necessarily true, but I think it's part of the the rising tide of finishing equals bad. We also had it 
where back in the day at Brooklady, where when they purchased the distillery, they also purchased a ton of stock. Mm -hmm. And then they became, you know, the the place you went for aced whiskey. Uh, additional cask enhancement. enhancement. Yeah, ace. Yep. And so so acing became a thing and instead of finishing. And to me, it's a bit like STR becoming a thing when we already had DCHAR, rechar, but yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. a conversation for another day. Um so I know that finishing can have a little bit of a of a poor reputation, but what do you think about Pinchas's question here? What does the community feel about finishing bourbon? Let's keep it focused to bourbon since he specifically asked that. Okay, and so he's asking what the independent bottling community, or just how we writ large. The, oh, writ large, okay. I'm, I'm guessing he's saying the drinkers, the distillers, yeah. the independent bottlers, the blenders like barrel. Like, what's the general consensus okay. around finishing bourbon? So I, I think that the general consensus, at least as it, as it stands right now, when it comes to finishing bourbon, is that there are a lot of people who dislike that. Not necessarily because the idea is, oh, you had a crappy bourbon and now you're trying to fix it. I think, I think it's pretty fair to say that it's really hard to make a truly crappy bourbon. One of the great things about bourbon is that it's almost always great. Even at two years, three years of age, you can have just a really nice sipper. The problem with bourbon is that it, I'm not going to say bourbon just tastes like bourbon because there, there, are, there are variances to be sure and nuance to be sure. However, there is a very specific box or I should say cask that bourbon fits into and that's new charred oak. And you can't really build flavors outside of that. You can try to get interesting with grains. You can try to get interesting with yeast, but you can never do with grains and yeast what you can do with a sherry cask or a port cask or a mescal cask or something like this. And so I think those that say, don't finish my bourbon, I don't think it's coming from a place of you're trying to fix something that's a bit broken. It's coming from a place of don't mess up my traditional product. Meanwhile, some of the bottlers are saying, how do we differentiate ourselves from everybody else who's putting out a bourbon? If we had a line <laughs> to a, a good amount of bourbon, the first thing that I would want to do is see what types of casks we could finish it in that would, A, make sure the bourbon retains its bourboniness, but B, helps to just build upon that. And I think the wild turkey release where, where they finished it in the Oloroso sherry casks, a really good mm. example of a bourbon finished in another style of cask where the bourbon retains its spirit character, its an original cask character, but just has some other things going on and is balanced in a beautiful way. I think when it comes to the scotch whiskey side, however, this is where I may disagree with you a little bit. I think, by and large, a lot of the finishing is done because the liquid needs to go in a direction 
that it's currently not going in. It could be it could be not so great. It could be a bit one note. We've done it ourselves with our can right the first time we did it. Our canvas twenty eight year old. It was a decent little drinker, but it needed something else going on. So we had it put into a muscatel cask for six months. It retained its camb- canvasness, but then became strawberries and cream and and wafer cones, and it just became so much more. And so I feel as if that enhanced the whiskey. It needed it. <laughs> I've heard that term. <laughs> but, but, but I think what's striking there is when you and I always have our, our single cask bottler's hat on. Yeah. And I could see if you were looking to put out a consistent product, you would want to use some finishing to round out some of the edges that come from just straight up cask maturation. And so that finishing would give you a consistent product that might not necessarily speak to the quality, good or bad, mm-hmm. of the cask you're purchasing or casks, plural, that you're purchasing. I think it could, but I also feel as if uh, a finishing regimen to create a more consistent product could potentially add on uh, a bit more work right because you're already dealing with say bourbon like let's let's use Glenmorangie Lasanta as an example right 10 years in bourbon 2 years in in oloroso and i think there may be some px in there and all you're doing is you're adding in two new cask types to potentially make your blending job at the end a bit more difficult i i don't know i don't i don't know if it makes things easier or if it makes things harder i imagine it might offer up its own challenges Sounds like a question we need to ask a blender. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Paging Stephanie McLeod. Um, but, but I also think what's telling in, in the question here, to bring this back around to yeah, bourbon, thank you, thank you. Is, is this sense of tradition. And, and in season six, we'll have a, one of our very early episodes is with a non-traditional producer. And, and I took something away from that interview which is there are millions of consumers. And and to think of consumers as a monolith is a mistake. Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, we can say, oh yeah, there are a ton of bourbon drinkers who are completely against finishing and think it comes between them and the tradition of their bourbon. Mm-hmm. And they can be perfectly correct about that. Mm-hmm. There are also <laughs> millions of bourbon consumers who love a finish, yeah. who, who love a bit of angel's envy, right? Yeah, yeah good point. And, yep. Yep. and are more than happy to drink that because they like the flavours of it. And so I, I don't want to sit here in today's mailbag episode and say, oh, the community feels this way or that way about finishing in bourbon. I would just give the answer. Some people totally love it. Some people totally hate it. And if you hate it, you don't have to buy it. And if you love it, there's somebody out there for you. Yeah, I, I just feel as if the people who are against it are far more vocal than those for it. Yeah, because yeah, the people for it are just quietly drinking it right, in the privacy yeah. of their homes. Right, it's like, it's, it's like going <laughs> They're day. not on Reddit, they're not on Twitter, they're not blasting their opinions throughout the world. Yeah, it's, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I love... Look, 
We record a long-ass whiskey podcast that tens of thousands of people listen to. I love the fanaticism that surrounds whiskey. Yeah. I absolutely do. We benefit from it day in and day out. Sometimes we don't have to overthink it. There you go. Oh, you, you've wrapped that up in a nice little bow, Jason. I did it because I wanted to impress Tim Gullicksrud, who All right. is such a, a sensible character and somebody that we always enjoy hearing from. Mm-hmm. And given that he is the next email, I wanted to set the stage for him as best as I possibly could. Well, perfect. I'm, I just like that I get to read this one. So... <laughs> You, you know what I like about Tim Gullick's Rudd? I mean, I, I, I need a few <laughs> hands to count, you know, the number of things that I like about Tim Gullick's Rudd. But the, f- the fact that with this email, he greets us with greetings. Isn't that nice? You don't hear that much. Greetings. <laughs> um, hope, next time, I hope he puts end salutations, but that's another story. Anyway, greetings. I've been told you're looking for questions to include in the mailbag episode. Hopefully this one is interesting enough to make it into, quote, the big show, end quote. Woohoo! That's us. You know what? Let's stop reading. No, I'm joking. Um, actually, before we go on, Jason, <laughs> you, I, I need you to pour... the plug on that one. I need to pour another whiskey. What, what are we going to pour? I, so, so while we're given an answer to that last question, I was thinking... We never actually announced what was in our glasses. We uh, described our glasses. Yeah. We thank Travis for gifting us the glassware. We never said what was in the glass. And then, because I, I did the same as you, I finished it. I looked at what I was going to pour next. And I thought, oh, we're, we're missing a little part of the story here. So, so do you want to tell them? Yeah, so, <laughs> tell so we, our dear listeners. We, we started off with what we thought was likely the best opening dram. And that was the Single Cast Nation Wolf Island. Just great opener easy all-rounder really mm. really nice thing to to awaken your palate and get it ready for the next big thing i just don't know what that next big thing is jason should we do the oishi and muscatel <gasps> let's do the oishi and muscatel so this is speaking That's of not the right one <laughs> speaking of finishing this one spent 4 years in a sherry hogshead and then was transferred into a muscatel. Uh, it's just as cask. I, I don't remember if it was a hogshead or a barrique. Uh, but then it was put into a muscatel cask for another two years. So uh, here we go. And it's a cheeky little ABV of 40.5. So glug, 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 yeah. glug, glug. Natural. Natural cask, cask strength. strength. So 40.5. So Tim continues. When selecting your casks, how do you account for the change in whiskey over time as the bottle is open? Here's a little context. When I first taste a whiskey, it's very rare that I can fully appreciate and wrap my head around the whiskey after just one taste. It's only after the bottle has been open for a while and I've had several drams that I can fully appreciate the whiskey. Does the whiskey change over time? Who knows? Does my perception of the whiskey change over time? (laughs) Probably. So when you're selecting casks, how do you ensure you're picking a quality cask with complex 
subtlety, and nuance after just one sample? Are your palettes just that much better than mine? And continues. That being said, there was a One Nation Under Whiskey episode or two where you gave listeners a brief, quote, peek behind the curtain to, quote, see how the sausage was made, end quote. <laughs> and you let us <laughs> listen in as you talked us through selecting a few cask samples. Fascinating stuff. And he's got a little a little thing after that that I'm, I don't know if we'll we'll get into. Let's answer this question. I can tell you, I don't know if you think about this, Jason, but when we're tasting cask samples, I don't actively think about how that whiskey's going to evolve as you slowly work to drain the bottle. Like that never enters my mind. We don't talk about it. Does it enter your mind? No. Yeah. No. No, and, and actually, as much as we've joked about this rising tide against the neck pour, and and periodically over over podcasts and episodes, we've talked about the oxidation of a whiskey as you do drink through a bottle. I just think there are there are so many variables. Yeah to the life an open bottle can live on a shelf that I don't think we could even begin to guess at what a cask is going to do. Uh, what I what I would say is, as we are choosing a sample, and as we've talked about, like we will only have one sample of that whiskey, invariably 100 mils of liquid or less, mm-hmm. To, to make a decision where you're spending thousands of pounds or thousands of dollars, you don't get a long time to really sit with it and think deeply. But over this decade plus, our method has, has really won out. And the fact that we look for texture in the mouth while looking for a thread that goes from nose to palate to finish, mm-hmm. we're looking for the very best samples that we possibly can. It, you know, even to, to Tim's point here, on the consumer side, you can think about that liquid sitting in the glass bottle on your shelf. For us, there can sometimes be months between getting a sample, selecting a sample, buying the cask, getting that cask into the bottling line, finally into glass. So it can have an additional bit of life in wood Mm -hmm. after we have selected it. And I think if we started to try and get too precise, we'd become too precious. And we may ultimately not end up selecting anything ever. And and there have been occasions where I really like that scenario you brought up, right, where you buy a cask based on a sample, you eventually get it to the bottling hall, and you eventually get it into the bottling schedule, and that could take many months. In some cases, we've we've asked for new samples of that cask to see where it is or see how mm-hmm. it's progressing, because mm-hmm. sometimes that can re- really, really go on, so... That's where I'm. Let me. Yeah, go ahead. Can I add to that? Yeah. Where, look at look at the dram we just finished, the Wolf Island. That was us bringing together six casks, but there's only 
a finite period of time to introduce those casks to one another, Mm -hmm. to get them mixed together to go into bottle. But my guess is if you open up, I know what you're going to say in response to this, if you open up that Wolf Island in 30 years' time, those molecules of gonna will have married in such a way mm-hmm. that that will be a different single malt in that bottle oh, yeah. in 2052 than it is in 2022. And what do we keep talking about, right? 1970s Johnny Red up against contemporary Johnny Red, yeah. right? They're completely different beasts. Two different animals. And yep. partly it was distillation, it was casks, it was, you know, the passage of time, but there's no control for any of that. Mm-hmm. And so while I agree with what Tim's saying here, there's no control. You you can't put something next to it and say, here's two identical whiskies from the same cast that have yeah. lived the same life. How do they taste? Yeah, you know, I do, I do wonder, because we pay so close attention to texture if that helps the liquid in some way withstand the test of time to maybe change a bit less. But if I'm being honest, I really like watching the evolution of a whiskey in a bottle while I so slowly drain it over the course of two years. It takes me a lot, I've, I've got a lot of bottles and it takes me a long time to finish it, finish these bottles. And I like seeing the changes. And and to to Tim's point here, is it the whiskey changing? Maybe. Is it my palate changing? Probably. <laughs> Could it be both? Right. <laughs> um, right. You know. But and but that's I what I mean that. by there's no control. Yeah. 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 Yep. Right. Yeah. There's no control to put next to that experience. The experience is the only thing. There have been. It's a great question. I I love this question. And there have been some whiskeys that I think have improved through time in the glass. Uh, I mentioned it uh, last last season when we had our first or second interview with um, Dr. Bill Lumsden, where I had gotten a bottle of cake and I was so scared that he was going to ask if we liked cake because I would have just been honest and said, yeah, I don't really like it. But then I as waited. As long as he didn't ambush us with cake. <laughs> cake in the face. But, but, right, but then I let time pass and I retasted cake and found a whole new appreciation for it. So, anyway, there's a bit at the end here, but I'm, I'm not going to bring that into the uh, conversation. Uh, but he just says, "Cheers, Tim Gullick's Red." Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And he didn't compliment your perfect pitch, so I'm okay with that email. If he could turn back time, he would Here's- ask me about my perfect pitch. Here's a name. That was new to me. I don't know if it's new to you or not. Kevin Dunlop. Kevin Dunlop. Have you seen I that know that in the name. socials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I definitely know that name. Okay. <sighs> okay. So well, you're about to forget it in one second because the salutation is hello, Jason and Joshua. Kevin who? <laughs> Fred who? Hey, <laughs> Kevin for the win. Well done, <laughs> sir. So here's, here's a little something I, I noticed as our emails were coming in for this episode. A lot of our listeners have taken a, a page out of our book where 
they're just they've got something to say and they're going to take their damn time saying it and I love that I absolutely love that so so here we go you'll go you'll you'll hear my point in just a second this, is, so this from is from Kevin Fred Fred McIntosh <laughs> I forgot his name so uh, once again for those in the back Kevin Dunlop Fred McIntosh. hello Jason and Joshua I was going to send you an email asking how often you would travel pre-COVID. I only started listening at the start of COVID after hearing you on a different podcast and thinking, I will like these two. Then I saw Joshua would be in Chicago, but clearly I was too slow and it was sold out. It happens. (laughs) It happens, Kevin. Hopefully I can pay more attention in the future and be able to meet you both at an event. This is a two-parter. Quick personal question and then two for the mailbag. Okay. What's interesting, I'm just scanning over this and he doesn't ask us about how much we would travel pre-COVID, so I wonder if he just changed his mind once he started writing his email. (laughs) Personal question first. How does someone move into the whiskey industry? I am currently in education for a different type of water of life. Blood. All right. (laughs) That is important. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) As I am getting older, though, I am wishing I was able to make my hobby something else. I have no idea where to even start. My story is remarkably similar to Jason. Almost identical in age, I'm sorry, Kevin, (laughs) moved to the US from Scotland at almost the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought that was funny when he talked about this. A few podcasts, a few (laughs) podcasts. My eyes are failing and then my tongue is failing. I thought that was funny when he talked about this a few podcasts ago. Any help is, of course, very much appreciated. And then he says, okay, on to the mailbag. So I don't think I was meant to include that in the mailbag episode, but let's be honest, you and I get asked that question a hundred times a day. We do. Right? We do, yeah. Right. So and partly we've lived that life, which I think is is what brings people to the doorstep. I think we're also hugely successful. <laughs> um just for the just for the record, we were both rolling our eyes at one another yes, during you. that statement. <laughs> for the record, <laughs> I, my eyes hit my brain. I almost had a stroke. Um, Isn't it pretty to think so? I think it depends on what what level within the whiskey industry you want to be in. I'll give you. I'll give you a good example. So early on, when before we even started the company, and we just had our blogs, uh, should I mention a name? Yeah, I'll mention a name. I'd met up with Sam Simmons, and actually, th- this was around the time that you had uh, come up to where I live because we were doing a tasting at my synagogue where Sammy Simmons was doing the Balvenie, right? He was the global ambassador for the Balvenie at the time. And was that October 2011? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Was it a scotch in the sukkah 
event, but we didn't have the sukkah up. It was something around that time, but yeah. And and we'd stopped into a store, and you know, while we're driving together, I'm talking to him how how interested I am to get into the industry how much of an inspiration he was, you know, having come from blogging and then, you know, became Balvenie's global ambassador and this, that, and the other thing. And I was really interested in being an ambassador at the time. And I remember him, he and I, walking into a store and just seeing a sales guy with, like, a notepad or an iPad, and he was just taking orders from whoever was, you know, the spirits buyer at the store. And he had turned to me and he had said... Is that the pos- is that the type of position in whiskey that you want? And I looked at him, and he started shaking his head <laughs> no because he knew the answer that that wasn't right. I I wanted to be, I wanted to be that person in front of people, teaching them about the whiskey, right? Sharing the passion for the whiskey, and I think as someone who works, who's so, who someone's just you know a distributor sales rep, you don't normally have that in your remit in your day-to-day and that's what I wanted in my day-to-day and so the the easy answer was no that's not what I want so I guess for Kevin it it really depends on what you want are you interested in brand ambassadorial stuff and in leading tastings or doing events and things like that if that's the case you know you can always go to events and just offer your services you could even offer it for free just to get the experience and then start getting to know people, right? You could just do this as a side hustle, but the, it's all about relationships. The more people you know, the more jobs you could potentially get, the more ins you could have. There's a lot of people who've gotten into the industry in that manner. Jay Cole, who's now with Impex Beverages, is a really good example of that, where he was going to events all the time, and then he started working behind tables, and then he started working with Kayo Whiskey, and now he's with Impex. So, so there are many ways into it. I think that's some low-hanging fruit if you're interested in the more, um, if you're interested in helping to drive passion, the passion of whiskey within people. And that's... <laughs> That's what I would say. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it kind of uh-huh. brings us back to our early response to call and of the plural mayors, which is turning your whiskey hobby into a whiskey job. Those can be very different enterprises. That is true, too. <laughs> and that so, is very true. Right, like as as you very well know, Joshua, and so so do Jess and Elijah. I turn off my phone at five p.m. on a Friday, mm-hmm. and I do not turn my phone back on until nine a.m. on a Monday, and I spend my weekends away from whiskey conversations. I'm mostly off social media. I I if you told me ten years ago, eleven years ago, when we started up that I would be so deep into this whiskey industry Mm -hmm. that I would need a hobby that would give me a break from what was my hobby. I don't know (laughs) if I would have believed you or I would have said that will be a very good problem to have. It's not the best problem. (laughs) 
and I stand before you today knowing that that I I try to get away from my whiskey hobby when the weekend hits. And and during the week, I throw myself in it as much as I possibly can. I look around me, and you and I have talked about this plenty. Mm. We've got samples on top of samples, behind samples, underneath samples. It's insane how much whiskey we have access to. That is literally a dream come true. Mm-hmm. But it also needs parameters. And so putting those parameters on it mm. have become necessary. I just want to add on to this. There's, there's another threat to your passion for whiskey. So I, I, I think you've done the right thing for you where you're, where you're protecting yourself and you're, you're ensuring that you're able to step away from it. I don't have that same um, uh, discipline, right? I, <laughs> for lack of a better term, we can't even a host of words there. Uh, discipline, but, okay. But but one thing that I fight, and this is a discipline that I have. One thing that I've started fighting now that I am, you know, f- fully within the industry with two jobs within the industry, is I fight thinking about whiskey as a skew, right? Mm, a new mm-hmm, product, mm-hmm, uh, an mm-hmm. item number. A mark. A mark, right? It's just so easy to do that because then all of the beauty, all of the glory, all of the mystique, all of the romance is gone. It's just a thing to sell. And and that can be a very difficult person, a very difficult thing for a person to fight, especially if you're like me, where I've got a very salesman-y kind of hat on when I need to have it. Mm. And, uh, and so it, it's, it's, I have to continuously fight to work with passion and not with part numbers. No, a hundred percent. And that's partly the thing for me is over the course of a week, it's so much spreadsheets it's so much <laughs> national logistics and uh-huh. global logistics. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I know we've talked about this in a previous episode, but it's its the meme that was doing the rounds. Just thinking what it. My, yeah. right, what my friends think I do as either an independent bottler or a brand ambassador or you know, whatever you are in the whiskey industry. What my friends think I do, what my spouse thinks I do, what my parents think I do, what I really do, and what I really do is spreadsheets, day in and day out. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, yeah. The the other thing I was just going to add on there is a little bit of a, uh, I I loved yours. Ask yourself what you want to do specifically, where you want to be. I would also say, given what he's saying there, he's a, he's a similar age to me. He came to the US at a similar time as me. In most rooms that I walk into in the US, I'm the only Scotsman. Hmm. Gives me an edge, gives me a leg up. What I would say, what I would say to Kevin is, and, and it's clearly the time of year that we're in, but I would think about performance. Hmm. Burn suppers. Connect whiskey to delivering Burns's poems. Yeah, and and you've 
you've got a leg up on those around you. You're doing something that a lot of the people that you're in the room with can't do. And then coming out of that, you know, pouring it, Celtic festivals with your kilt on. We do have an email later on uh, from somebody who, who's poured it at a Celtic festival. Uh, and so I look for the difference maker. It, it fits perfectly with the conversation you and I had about starting an independent bottler. In 2011, there was something we could do that wasn't being done. In 2022, mm. there's a lot more happening that is what you and I were doing when we were you know, a little rarer. And so as a Scotsman in America, if you're in the Chicago area, what can you bring to the table that's just a you thing? Mm, very nice. Look at you. Do you charge yeah, by the hour? So this or? Is, yeah, this is me trying to be more positive in 2022. <laughs> it's so easy okay. to give all the negative answers. So easy. Um, so he says, okay, onto the mailbag. He's got two questions. I'm going to do what we sometimes do is I'm going to take one of his questions and I'm going to bring it into the introduction of season six, episode two. Give us a chance to have a wee chat about it. Oh, all okay. right. Yep, yep. That's cool. Okay, so answer half now, answer the other half, season six, episode right. two. Got it. Right. And they're, they're two distinctly different questions. So the, the one that we can answer now is, is again, a little bit of fun. So... So Kevin says, you can get a single barrel for single cast nation from any distillery in Scotland, in the US, mm -hmm. and across the rest of the world. What are your dream picks, one from each of those three, quote unquote, Ooh. regions? Oh, and, then, and then while you're thinking, yeah. he says, thanks again for the podcast. I have a long commute into Milwaukee every day for work. Oh, wow. And it's often in your company. Kevin Dunlop. Cheers, I, Kevin. I've done that Chicago to Milwaukee uh, hike a few times. It's not terrible. I think an hour and a half, if I remember correctly. So just enough time to <laughs> listen to half an episode on the way up and the half an episode <laughs> on the way down. Ah, so Scotland, the U.S. Yeah, so, so let's do Scotland. Let's let's just do Scotland, and let's let's try to go for. We have got so many questions I to know, get I through. Know, so, know, so Scotland, one cask. Who's it from? I've got mine. Okay, uh, I I have mine as well. Oh crap! He didn't specify whether it. Are we to assume this is of a <laughs> distillery that's still in the works, or can it be historical? Uh, because he didn't he set says, the rule. How do you want to set? He the says rule? dream picks. He oh, says dream. dream picks. So in a dream, just pick pick whatever makes you happiest, Joshua. However, I'm only letting you have one. No runners up. You're getting one. Okay. Gosh. Taking a firm hand to you. <sighs> Okay, well, because the sky's the limit, I'm not going to choose the long row um, because it. we do live in a world where that could potentially happen. I, I am, I've always been intrigued by the Glen Oogie Distillery. All right, and yeah, and. Every Glen Oogie I've had, which, which admittedly, not a lot. I've, I've only had maybe six or seven of them, you know, across the past 12, 15 years or so. But every one that I've had had, had such rich character to it. 
And the last one that I had, if you believe it, was in 2014 when Graham Usher, we were traveling with Graham and, mm-hmm. and Bino and Lee and Aaron. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he had bought a bottle of Glen Oogie, now Demolished Distillery. And, and so I think, it, oddly, it would be them. I, I often cast an eye back to Glen Oogie. So, oddly enough, I would bottle a Glen Oogie somewhere in the teens, preferably first fill bourbon. There's an austere quality to their spirit that I've that I've just really appreciated. Kilholman. Boom. Okay. What what kind? What age? What are we talking here, Jason? And did he did he ask why? <laughs> no. Well, I, <laughs> I want to know why. why. I gave a why, so I want to know why from you. <laughs> I like the fact that I took a firm hand to you and we just went straight back to long rambling answers. Easy. Um Coleman, it, you know, it's, it's what we talk about with Jared Card, it's what we talk with with Elijah, you know, Jess, Travis Williams, young, four years old, first fill bourbon. Boom. Done. A redo of how we launched the company. Oh, I like that. Okay. Speaking there of which, go. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna pour a kill homin right now. All right, I'm still drinking the Oishi. Slacker, come on, drink that shit. <laughs> we got we got some kill homin. Well, what's your U.S. answer? Good. My U.S. answer, um, I would really, really, really like to bottle a wild turkey that is of the caliber of cheesy gold foil wild turkey. Mm. I know a lot of people would say, what? Why aren't you saying Stitzel Weller? You know, why aren't you? Stitzel Weller made fantastic liquid. There have been plenty of delicious pappies and other brands that have used Stitzel Weller from back in the day. I'm not going to knock it. It's amazing liquid. But the cheesy gold foil to my palate is so extraordinary that I think it rivals many scotch whiskeys and my my preference is always with scotch whiskey and i think that this rivals the complexity yeah. of of many scotch whiskeys yeah you've you've said that before it's absolutely spot on um i'm gonna go into the wayback machine again i would love to bottle a second named heaven hill mm. i think our first jubilee heaven hill was extraordinary absolutely extraordinary and while the bottling itself has taken on a little bit of a legend the liquid inside was something we would hang our hats on every day of the week Mm. and that was our first american bourbon it was our first bourbon yes that was our very first bourbon american bourbon (laughs) American bourbon. He said it, ladies and gentlemen. He said it. And rest of the world. That's that's tough because we've bottled a fair few rest of the world, right? Milk and honey, Amra, Paul, John. We've not done a Cavalan. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I think I would want to do a Cavalan 
but I would be really hesitant to do Cavalan and Sherry. I know a lot of people, yeah, fr- right? Fresh bourbon Cavalan. Yeah, like a fresh <laughs> bourbon Cavalan. It still was. <laughs> I think that could be a damn good bit of fun. Uh, you, you know that quality in Cavalan that makes people just absolutely fall head over heels and buy it out in seconds? Yeah, we're not going to bottle one of those. I tell you what, We're though. going to yeah. zig when others are. I, and I'm 100% with you. I'm not even making fun of Well, I'm making fun of you, but I'm making fun of us because I'm 100% with you. I, I tell you what, something that I'd be excited about, something from our friends at Backwoods. <laughs> you, uh, well, Mazel on taking my answer. So well done. <laughs> I'll let you say it. Then I'll let you say it. No, 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 no. You, you got Cavalon <laughs> and backwards. There's no reason why I should get an answer. <laughs> and, and then, yeah. and let me just continue my own little thread in this answer. I'm counting down the days and the minutes until we get another Amrut. The, the difference with the Amrut is they've at least said, give us some time, where Cahoman and Heaven Hill have stopped answering the phone. But, <laughs> but Amrut at least is still on the radar. So I, I count down the days till that. I'm really excited for that. Same, 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 same. Excellent. Well, thanks to Kevin for for writing in with that. Lovely to make your acquaintance over the over the mailbag, uh, Joshua. You've got Mike Medlin in Woodland, California. I do. I, and he, yeah, he I, brings up a distillery, yeah, close to our hearts. <laughs> well, his his, I, I love the subject, and and it's just what the long dash. <laughs> just happened i'm guessing in the long dash he might have meant the word heck what the heck i I don't know i I think he might have used a word that gets your book banned in america now the did you pour the kilhoman i haven't i've been waiting for you to to suggest a kilhoman we should be pouring yeah down the hatch with the oishi well, delicious. given that Kevin missed you at Chicago when you were doing a tasting at Jeans Warehouse Liquors, mm. we should reach for the Jeans Warehouse Liquors Colhoman. Which one? The the Madeira? Or hey, I only the... have one. Okay. What, you you sandbagging me over there? No, no, no. I can remember uh, if I sent uh, you the, the bottle of the, the no. PX 100% Isla. The, our dear listeners already know the answer as to whether Joshua sent something out of Guilford or not. Okay, so I've poured my warehouse liquors, Kilhoman, and now I'm going to read Mikey. I don't know if you know this. It says Mikey Medlin, so so maybe he prefers Mikey. But he signed it Mike. So Michael starts it off with, Hello, my good friends at One Nation Under Whiskey! Exclamation point. Single! Exclamation point. Smart. Let me just start by saying I'm a big fan of the pad cost and most of the SCN products you put forth. I like the use of most. Is that what we call foreshadowing? (laughs) Foreskinning? Foreshadowing. Yeah, that's that's different. (laughs) I've been enjoying... What was the foreskin? (laughs) It's actually not true. Anyway. um, (laughs) You are correct. (laughs) I've been enjoying the recent releases of Westport and Dumbarton 
and just took delivery of the Beanley, which should go nicely with this year's family Christmas dinner theme of Australia. Now, so just to be clear, this email came in on December 2nd. So if you're wondering, it's February now, what is he talking about Christmas? It's because we've been sitting on this email for a while. He goes on. Did he, do you think instead of turkey, they had kangaroo? Don't they do wallaby? Mm, Right? Koala. Nice. Oh, nice mashed koala. You do the the wallaby and you put the koala in the pouch. That's how you stuff a (laughs) wallaby. An Australian turducken. (laughs) And then you put that inside the pouch of the kangaroo. (laughs) How would you say that? It would be a... a koala biru, a koala biru, a koala biru. Can wobabla? Can. It's like blah blah blah. Listen to me, blah blah blah. Blah blah blah. Anyway, um, <laughs> fans of Arrested Development are loving that one. Anyway, I'm all. He goes on. I'm also a big fan of the Krigelki Distillery. Though I must admit, my selection of bottles has been limited to the 13-year, 17-year, and the Distiller's Art 21-year. I haven't had the wonderful dis- selections all. Yeah, I haven't had the Distiller's Art one, but uh, the 13 and 17 are, are crackers. Um, mm-hmm. So when I heard that SCN had done a bottling of Krigeliki, I fired up the old computer, found a bottle, and purchased it. Just my luck, it had a 10-year age statement, which should go well with my 10-year marriage anniversary this New Year's Eve. Hey, happy anniversary. I hope you stayed married. Happy anniversary. I hope you stayed married after opening this bottle. We'll see. Um, (laughs) Most. (laughs) Mostly still married. That's why he said most. (laughs) Um, I've been sitting on this bottle for a couple of months now, which sounds painful, but hopefully we're able to get up. (laughs) And I opened it today to pour some samples as I swap with friends for other 10-year-old whiskeys to enjoy with my wife on her anniversary. I could not resist the chance to pour a small nip (laughs) for myself in the process. So here's where it gets tricky. He says... Now, I've heard you mention in your podcast of baby vomit, but dear Lord, baby Jesus, I was hit with full-on man vomit <laughs> as the spirit reached the back of my palate. I guess it was foreshadowing. I don't know. Maybe this was, <laughs> maybe this is the, quote, dark and pungent with earthy smoke end quote notes on the label am i tasting this right it just wasn't what i was expecting following other krigelikis that i've enjoyed at any rate love the show love most of your whiskey congrats on 10 years of business and keep up the good work mike medlin woodland california yeah Different things happen to different people. It's, no, uh, well, there, there is an answer to this. Um, do you want me to? You want me to take the lead on this, or would you yeah. like to take? The it lead? was it was bottled by Big Bile. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Big Bile. Um, so we asked this question of Stephanie McLeod when we had her on the podcast because. You know, we said there was this interesting evolution that we saw Krigeliki go through. 
Now, Krugelki is completely unpeated spirit. But for some reason, and I think part of that reason is their use of worm tubs and their aim to have a more sulfury spirit that would then age into other things. When when you taste Krugelki up to around 10 or 11 years of age, there's there's a meatiness to it. There's a heaviness to it. Sometimes mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. sulfury mm-hmm. quality that can translate into almost a funky peatiness. I, Jason, I remember you you and I tasting with a broker who let us taste mm-hmm. a sample of Krugelki blindly, and and I think we said something along the lines of, "We will take this lechig." Like that's how funky and odd it was. <laughs> and he's like, "Sorry, I it's, do remember us right? saying that." And he, he said, it's, it's a Krigeliki. And so, so the question to us was, do we like the style? Well, we love Lechig. We love Croft and Gaia. These are two really funky, meaty, heavy, slightly sulfury styles of whiskey. I think, Mike, if you go back to this Krigeliki 10-year-old, assuming slash hoping you you didn't toss it all down the drain. You came at it from the standpoint of a lechig, if you've had lechig before, or some sort of a funky, peaty, earthy whiskey, you might accept it a bit better and learn to love it. Because I think what's happening is you went into it with the context of Krugelki 13, 17, and mm. Distiller's Art 21, mm-hmm. Which are mm-hmm. fruity, malt driven, malt very malt driven, and and they're going to be different animals because Krugelki yeah. becomes a different spirit, and so you had one context, and you were presented with something that was wholly out of context. So maybe go into it with a different mindset. Maybe have a lechig before that, and then see what it does. You may actually find all of the fruit and some of the malt behind it if you start your palate with some context. Well, and that's where, again, on that episode with Stephanie McLeod, I'd mentioned the the eight-year-old Krigeliki that Moscow Jim had introduced me to that was all strawberries and cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was, I'm asking Stephanie, where, where are these strawberries coming from? And, and she'd said, even that can come from the worm tub. That real bright red fruitiness. Hmm. So I, I really like your answer there about the context of that and knowing the the 13 and the 17 being very different from our 10. The thing that I'm, I keep returning to here, though, is this, this man vomit, because I, I agree with you, right? Sulfury, people talk about farts or rotten eggs. Meaty clearly comes up when talking about the worm tub. Oh, that actually reminds me, I don't think we have it in front of us today. James Foster sent us uh, an email that simply said worm tub episode. Like that was <laughs> that was it. That yes. was it. As, yeah. the, as the kids say, that was the email. Um, <laughs> worm tub episode. So, and so I, I get those notes, but to get to this man vomit and I'm thinking bile, I'm thinking sour, maybe milk that's gone off in a fridge and I and I wonder if we could pull Mike's nose back around to that potentially being meaty or sulfury given the change in context from a rich 
multi-sherried Craig Ellicky that he's familiar with. Yeah, I, I wonder too, I don't have the bottle in front of me, but I do wonder if that was one of the bottlings where we had a, you know, an actual cork rather than synthetic cork. There is a chance that there may have been a corking issue. So I'm curious to know about that. So actually, Mike, if you're listening to this episode and you want to get back to us and, and let us know um, you know, uh, you, hopefully you, you do this, right? You, you put the, the Kregeliki into context. We'd really love to hear your thoughts um, if you take some of this advice and see if that changes things and, and see if it's improved. And hopefully hopefully it has because, you know, we, we always bottle under the assumption that the people who are buying our whiskeys buy our whiskeys because they enjoy our palate. Sometimes we throw curveballs and we're fine throwing curveballs because we enjoy receiving curveballs every now and again. And maybe this curveball wasn't for you, but maybe you can find it it was for you if you try this out. So we'd love to hear back from you if you give it a go. But just hearing this question, hearing some, I wouldn't call it constructive criticism, but just like, you know, what's going on here? I love people asking us slightly more difficult questions and being really nice about asking them. So. Cheers, Mike. Yeah, yeah. You know, multiple responses to a single cask. Yeah. Speaking of single casks. All right, right. <laughs> I know it's in our name, but this has nothing really to do with our business. Um, a couple of, of very well-known uh, nation members, Ben Homan and Ari Cohen, oh, yeah. wrote in on very similar topics. And so I'm actually going to cover both emails here and then we can give uh, a response to the topic. You're a smart man. So, so thank you, thank you. So Ari writes, J&J, as always, thank you for your podcast. And that's all in capital letters, as well as the whiskey and other great stuff you do to make the industry so much fun for us. Cheers, Ari, very kind. A few comments. A little over a year ago, I decided I would start doing barrel slash cask picks and run them through the various whiskey groups I run or belong to. Going in, as I always have with my expenditures in the alcohol game, was not to lose money. <laughs> and thankfully, I can say that I have yet to lose money. And now being on the other side, I can see I will never get rich either. So, <laughs> mazel. But the point of this, in just the year I have started doing this, I have seen an explosion, and that's in all capitals, of barrel picks mm. and offers from distilleries to make barrel purchases. I now look at the market and I can see for sure that I am going to find it harder and harder to sell my bottles. So while I was hoping to do four to six a year, I am now thinking I may drop it to just one superb bottle that will cut through the chaff and excite buyers. Mm. But that is a problem for another day. Also, you say this is the last podcast of 2021. Did I miss the Whiskies of the Year podcast? <laughs> Was there a Wives Question and Answer podcast mm. this year? Okay, onward and upward, two chins, Ari Cohen. 
Um, yeah, very quickly, there was not a wives Q&A podcast. Uh, that, was, that was wonderful when we did it, but boy, was that exhausting. And I'm still recovering. Um, and then did I miss the Whiskies of the Year? Nope, that came in. He, he emailed us December 22nd. We dropped the Whiskies of the Year episode December 29th. Ah, there we go. Okay, so. If, if memory serves. Yeah. Um, and now here we are with the mailbag. February nine, closing out season five. Yep, 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 yep. So, so that that's all the housekeeping there. So that was, I thought that was a, a very good email from Ari. I really appreciated that. So on the back of Ari's email, Ben Holman mm-hmm. writes, "Hello J three and E, oh, well who we now know is, is EJ." After reading an op ed article, which I included, so you can read at your leisure. I was curious on your thoughts on this subject. Are bourbon store picks special anymore? Every store seems to have one nowadays. It's a great way to be able to have your name on something, but there can't, all capitals, be that many barrels out there that are knock your socks off special Mm -hmm. that every liquor store you walk into has one. Do you feel that, as the article words it, the picks have quote-unquote jumped the shark? Mm. Cheers. And if just for listeners, if you want to follow up with that, you can go to gobourbon.com and... Op-Ed have private barrel picks jump the shark will get you the article that Ben is referring to. So aren't those two lovely emails? Two really great emails. Uh, and, it, and I've thought about that a little bit. I would argue that they may be right. <laughs> and it's simply due to the fact that what I said earlier, right? Like I think... One of the great things about bourbon is it's always so damn good. And it's always consistent because it's always matured in a new charred oak cask. Yep. Absolutely. Right? So, yep. so, I thought that was a good point when you raised it earlier. So your your chances of having an off cask, I think, are going to be limited when compared to uh, another whiskey producers that might use some used casks, ex-wine or, or reused bourbon casks or, or something like that. So I would argue that all of those store picks are probably really good and for different reasons, And but it gets to what uh, Syndrome had said in Pixar's The Incredibles, if everybody's special, then no one's special. Right. If everything's good, then everything's just good, and it's not special. Mm. You know, having said, I love that you just have that up your sleeve, ready to go. I think about that all the time. I think about that all the time. (laughs) Syndrome. And yet, you don't think of if Jason has three names, then he really has four names. Don't bring that up, Jason. I had just repaired my brain from having endured that (laughs) onslaught of. of words and, and truth and scariness. <laughs> yeah, I, I I would argue that within the onslaught of store picks, there will always be outliers. I, I think that there are some people that 
are known for having really good selections, but I don't know if their selections are better than anyone else's selections, but their selections may be more in line with more people's palates than, you, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say, that just something that might be more appealing to to more people. And then you get a name for yourself, right? Then you become this this guy or girl that picks Cass and you want to get one of those bottles because you know so-and-so picked it. I like right. Ari's comment here that instead of aiming for four to six picks a year, if you're doing it with a group of whiskey lovers and you're one among friends, go looking for that one unicorn, right? Put your time and effort and money into that. Because if you're a liquor store owner, you're looking to sell things to your consumers that your consumer will buy mm-hmm. quickly and easily and reoccurringly, right? And maybe they'll pick up some other things off the shelf while they're in there, right? There's definitely a business aspect. Mm-hmm to the number of liquor store picks that we see. And and I, I take away, this is a little bit like something I, I said earlier as well about the consumer and the power the consumer has. Just because a liquor store puts out a pick doesn't mean you have to buy it. And and you don't <laughs> have to buy all of them, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. And, and so I think it would be that, you know, but, but then you run into to a, a very well-known problem, which is, but if I don't buy it, it'll sell out. And if oh, this oh. is one of the best that's been released, I won't have a bottle. I think it's okay to not have a bottle. It really, yeah, it's really okay. <laughs> right? and, and so I, there's an aspect here that there is something really nice about a liquor store having its own pick and it comes in that distillery's bottle with that distillery's label and, and you get your sticker on it or your neck tag on it or whatever it is. You get to put a little bit of yourself on it. Once they sell slower, liquor store owners will be more judicious in what they put in front of the consumer. Yep. So the consumer has to kick that off by being more judicious about what they purchase. Power to the people. I like that. Yeah, I. the one thing that I was going to say about this is I found myself in, in a four roses rabbit hole. And there was a period mm-hmm. of time where every mm-hmm. shop had their own four roses. And there were you, you could do two different four roses single cast. You could just have it bottled at fifty percent alcohol, and you kind of get what you get, and you can put your store's sticker on it, or you can go with their upper tier program and get it at full cast strength, and blah blah blah. And and groups would pick them, and shops would pick them, and I got to the point where I, I may have fifty six different. I had to say that quietly. I may have fifty six different. Four Roses single casks, and you know what I do? I open the bottle, I have a sip, I say, oof, that was good. I close the bottle, and I don't revisit it for another couple of years. Like, that's the problem that I was running into, because they were also 
at that time, they were cheap. You can get them as cheap as 49 bucks. Now they're at least 89 bucks if they're available at all. So it's, so it's a different game. But I had that same thing. Oof, I don't want to miss out on this one. It's got that recipe. It's an OBSF. I've got to get that. It's it's an OESO or what, whatever. I've got to get that. And it's difficult to shake yourself from that cycle. <laughs> so I, I remain curious about this very precise expression in, in Ben's email. So for listeners in, in other countries, to jump the shark is mm. often when a, a TV show, you get to that episode where you say, oh no, this this isn't what it used to be. This is really oof. And I think one of the famous examples is Happy Days when the fawns literally jumps a shark. That's where it came from because he <laughs> jumped the shark. That is, that was the one episode that are like, oh, they just went overboard here and jump the shark became shorthand for jumping a shark. So, so many of us have had it, right? Or you're reading a series of books and you get to the eighth and a 12 part fictional series and you go, oh no, this is, no, this has gone a very wrong place. So, to Ben's question, based on this op-ed, have barrel picks jumped the shark? I would say that the picks haven't jumped the sharks, but the distilleries allowing for such a multitude of picks have made it so that the, the process has jumped the shark. Nice. So... I was listening very carefully to your answer because my answer is no, the picks haven't jumped the shark, but consumers need to be more careful in, in what they purchase because there are still going to be amongst all of those picks. This is to Ari's point. There are going to be casks that blow your socks off. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be a lot of stuff that has that retailer's name on it, and you can buy it exclusively from them. And it'll probably be a fine sipping bourbon. Yeah. Fine sipping bourbon. Can I? James Foster would like to interject at this moment. Okay, and then, and then we have something from Ben Smith on the Facebooks that I want to get to as well. So you, you, do, you do Foster, and then I'll do Smith. James Foster says... If I catch cold, I am blaming you. This is not the right time of year to go barefoot. But I just had my first sip of the Colhoman finished Catoctin Creek rye. It knocked my socks off. That Thanks a lot. <laughs> Parentheses. Seriously. I loved that he, he slipped in a very serious dad joke in there i can't go barefoot but this knocked my socks off hey uh, hey i love it i love it and i really appreciate he's he's a man of taste he's got a good palate and the fact that he saw in our Catoctin creek what we hoped people would see brings a tear to my eye tear of joy no it, it, yeah right it's a great email and and look at that right it's a colholman xpx finished Catoctin mm, Creek. Finished American we weren't, whiskey. Right. <laughs> we weren't trying to hide anything from the Catoctin Creek. In fact, we hoped the Catoctin Creek would still shine through. Mm -hmm. The the Culhoman PX finishing, which it did, 
we just took that offering in a very different direction yeah. to offer up a Catoughton Creek that had never been offered before. Hugely successful, hugely. So to your face places. So there, there's going to be a few things here. The first one is going to be a boom, boom. All right. And then maybe a boom. Not a boom, 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 boom. No, more like a snow, like a lick a boom, boom down. Um, snow. <laughs> Jason, I'm here for all of the dumb references. All of the dumb references. All right. So, so Ben Smith said, <laughs> Ben Smith, I can't, I don't even know where that came from. Ben Smith says, or asks, what are the correct pronunciations of L-E-D-A-I-G and... <laughs> Timely. <laughs> and G-L-E-N-M-O-R-A-Y in Scottish. And then finally, how do you say four, the number four in Italian? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are now into the year 2022. Mm-hmm. And so this year's woodcut will be the coveted Four. <laughs> By the power of editing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's your uh, your coveted four. Four. Yeah. So, Lechig and Glen Murray. Yeah. So the so trick. Let's let's say it a little slow, a little slower, with a little more. And yeah, that's to my very point. When faced with Scottish pronunciations. The goal is to go through them as quickly as possible. I understand that. But what I'm saying is there's a good chance he didn't fully understand you. So enunciate and then do it the way it's meant okay. to be done. Okay. Very simply. Lechigan Glenmurray. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so to translate what Jason said. Was le- that slow enough? Lechig or Lechig. Some people say Lechig. What it, what it isn't, what it clearly is not. It's not Ledeg. <laughs> And I know our wonderful friend Dave, David Stirk says Ledeg, and he's like, it's, it's spelled Ledeg. I'm going to pronounce it Ledeg. Um, God love him. So it's Lechig, and then Glenn Murray. Like, think of your best friend Murray. Or Jason, in your case, your brother Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn Murray. So Lechig and Glenn Murray. Glenn uh, Murray. Good. All right, so, so that was yeah, one. Easy peasy. Ben has a list of questions in Facebook. I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to only read the one, the ones that, that, that moving forward, that really gave me a chuckle. And, and this one okay. is, is said, this is a question for the tall philosophical one. Oh, so Joshua, carry on. Cute. Leaves can be put on branches, but can branches ever be put on leaves? Hashtag... Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. <laughs> uh, no, that, that's against the laws of nature. That will never work. And then, and then the next two kind of go together in a weird way. So I'm going to ask them both, and then I'll explain why I think they go together. Okay. Mm-hmm. Question for Josh, quote, Johnny Marhattan. I love the opening lick slash theme song for One Nation Under Whiskey as it's loping 
down-home cadence gets me right in the mood for listening to some good old quality whiskey chat. What's that music's origin story? So that's hey, question that's a good one. question. Question number two. Th- there is a connection here. He says, what's up with all the Hobbiton talk? And are you all seriously that into Lord of the Rings? Or is there an inside joke that I've missed? Thoughts on Amazon's Ring of Power? Should Wheel of Time have us worried? And yes, the concept of two neckties and Back to the Future is a dark, dark, grim, dystopian future. <laughs> this is Ben is a person who listens to detail, and I, and I quite, quite like that. So um, I just love the fact that when he talks about that opening riff, it it settles him the exact same way it settles me, right? right? And, and I, I'm sure it settles you. I just don't oh, want to yeah. put words in your yeah, mouth, yeah, yeah. but yeah. I absolutely hear that, and I know what's coming next. Yeah, that makes me very happy. So, yes, please. Origin story. So that is uh, from a song called Wooden Monsters from my friend's old band called Way Down, W-E-I-G-H, Down. And the album is Welcome to the Family Zoo. The album came out in 2004 or 2005, and when they wrote that song... The internal comments were were basically, are we writing this song for Josh? Like they all, as they were writing it, they said, this is, this sounds like something Josh would listen to. And so when they showed it to me, they were like, we all think that we may have written this song for you. And so I, I've just, <laughs> that's sweet. Isn't that nice? So there's that. And, and so, so there you go. Way down. The song is Wooden Monsters and the album is called Welcome to the Family Zoo. You can find it on iTunes or, you know, other music services if, if you do other music services. And then the question about Hobbiton and Lord of the Rings. Now, here's the funny thing. Yes, we are very much into Lord of the Rings. Um, mm-hmm. The singer of Way Down and I were in a band before the way down called Leaves of Lothlorien. And we were a hardcore Tolkien-inspired band, a Tolkien-inspired hardcore band, but we were distortionless. And so we referred to ourselves as elfcore rather than hardcore. And I have a tattoo of Tom Bombadil on my arm. Uh, So I am very much into Lord of the Rings. I've tried Wheel of, Wheel of Time, didn't really like it so much. I'm excited for Rings of Power. And yes, Two Neckties is for <laughs> a dystopian future. Did you have anything to add, Jason? <laughs> uh, also, huge L.O.T.R. fan. Never been in the, uh, never been in a elf core band. Don't, don't have any tattoos. Read The Hobbit when I was 11, and that was that settled. There you go. There you go. Okay. Uh, lovely. Lovely. A lovely series of observations and, and some lovely questions coming out of it. Mm-hmm. So the listeners can't see it, but I can see your polo shirt. Uh-huh. And this question from Anthony Rivera, mm-hmm. formerly known as Balancer, he does sign it, Anthony Rivera balancer the french i don't know what the french part the is do you french, the french well i the know french. you say like af like as a frenchman the french the french yeah. i'll have to think about that so 
So Anthony, to give him his Sunday name, says, Dear One Nation Under Whiskey, I have two questions inspired by one whiskey. The first question I've had for many years, but could never remember to ask when I was with someone who may know. First, let me tell you, the whiskey is from M&H. It's the Apex Series Fortified Red Wine ah, Cask. okay. By the way, he says, great with cigars and a juicy steak. Hmm, okay. He continues, I was lucky enough to meet Tal and Tomer from M&H when I first tried this. I have regretted not asking them this ever since. If you only have the time for one question, please answer the first one. We are going to answer both, though. First off, the fortified red wine cask drinks as if it's peated or smoky. <laughs> How beautifully does this tie into our Craigellic yep. comments, yep. right? But, says Balancer, it is not a peated whiskey. Mm -hmm. Question. How can a whiskey taste peated when it's not? In answering, let's assume that no peated casks were used. My guess is it's the heavy char of some casks that is passing this flavour on. I've regretted this many times over the years and have always been curious of where this is coming from. And then just very simply, what does it mean to be a fortified wine cask? Mm -hmm. And and it's interesting because in his question, he's put the quotations around fortified and then left wine cask, as opposed put, to putting them around fortified wine uh -huh. and then leaving cask. Okay. So... He says, I've seen this a bit more recently and not sure what it means. Thank you and cheers. Anthony Rivera, Balancer the French. There you go. Balancer the French. Did you want to tackle oh, the first part? Dude. Did, yeah. Dude. Dude. You are sitting dude. before me today in your M&H polo. I know you had a meeting with M&H before we started <laughs> this recording. This is a question about M&H. This, yes. my friend is 100% your territory. Perfect. So the interesting thing about that cask, and I would argue found more so in M&H's Elements Red Wine, is that you get this smoky element from a non-peated spirit, but specifically from the types of grape used to make these wines. So M&H, being a kosher producer, has to source kosher wine casks if they want their final product to be a kosher product. Israel has one of the biggest, uh, it's one of the biggest wine-producing countries in the world. They make a ton of wine, but they're Mediterranean grapes. You're not going to find your Cabernets, your Pinot, uh, Pinot Noirs, Petit Syrahs. You know, you're not going to find... This, the grapes that we think of when we think of Napa or that we think of uh, for French wines or anything like that, they're Mediterranean grapes, many of which I don't know their names. Most people who aren't familiar with Mediterranean wines will not know their names, but they've got 
different flavor characteristics. And so when I drink Elements Red Wine, I got the same thing. I got this peatiness. And the explanation, yeah. Could I just ask a very quick follow-up yeah. that's been in my head? Are we talking an Isla peatiness or a Highland peatiness? Definitely definitely not Isla. Like it, it seems like it's phenolic. It's earthy. It's... Not even necessarily smoky, but it's earthy. There's a heft to it, right? It's not it's not iodine. It's not sea spray or anything like that. And not seaweed. Or seaweed, yeah, or anything like that. But you're dealing with grapes that have an earthier presence overall when delivered in wine form or when delivering flavors to the spirit. So if you taste M&H Elements red wine, the first thing that you'll notice is that it doesn't taste like, you know, high-octane wine. It tastes like a whiskey that has notes from wine with an earthiness. And the same kind of rings true with the fortified red wine cask. They're dealing with a fortified wine that used grapes that were from a Mediterranean source. And so you're going to have that same sort of earthiness coming through that might translate to your, from your taste buds to your brain as a peatiness. But it's not peaty. It's just earthy grape quality coming through. And then simply put, fortified wine? Right. So fortified wine as compared to regular wine, sherry, port, Madeira, Carcaveos, I think that's how it's spelled. These are all fortified wines. I think it's pronounced Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. God, I just ran out of Nirvana songs to sing. Anyway, so a fortified wine is basically where you take wine, you mature it in cask, and you fortify that wine with a bit of neutral alcohol. Sometimes it's usually grape-driven alcohol. Um, it increases the ABV overall within the cask, which increases the extraction of flavors from the wood while that wine sits in casks. So you're fortifying it. In the case of sherry, um, Anthony, you, you may or may not remember our episode with Mario from, um, uh, from Lustau, but he, he talked about the way they produce the sherry. They make a fino sherry. That's about 14% alcohol, and within that cask, there's a yeast layer called floor that sits on top of the wine, protects the wine from oxidation, also protects it from getting too much influence from the wood. What they do to convert that to an Oloroso or another style of sherry is they fortify that wine with the spirit to bring it over 15% alcohol that kills the floor and then the wine can start extracting flavor from the wood. So that, that's it. It's just fortified wine. It's basically Israeli-style port or Israeli-style sherry or Israeli-style Madeira. They can't call it sherry, port, and Madeira because sherry has to be made in Spain, port in Portugal, Madeira on the Madeira Islands, etc. So it's a fortified wine cask. That is both a perfect answer and a series of words that have made me ready for Manzanilla. Oh. However, we're not going to do that. Are, are we <laughs> but as finished as my Kilhoman? Do we have another whiskey? Did you even sip on your <laughs> Kilhoman, Jason? 
Yeah. Just oh, I feel like you're an amateur. I feel like you're just pounding. I've in had the three of the whiskeys. I've had three like like half ounce pours I mean, over the course of two hours and seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> pounding. You so so while we're working on this, you're for listeners of the mailbag who have been patiently waiting for a Dr. Matt Bishop mm, appearance. I know I've been waiting. Now is your moment, and I'm going to give Joshua the privilege of of reading that. He did something absolutely remarkable. <laughs> He wrote in saying, Hi, Joshua and Jason. Please find attached my mailbag episode question. I hope you find it interesting enough. With all my best wishes for the festive period, cheers, Dr. Matt. And then he attached what looks like in America a family's festive missive to to friends and family. It's got graphics. It was in PDF format. It's serious shit. Yeah. Like I was so impressed by this. You know, it's great too. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the old Mad magazines. If you triple fold it a certain way, it becomes <laughs> a whole other picture. It's really great. I, I love what he's done. He's he's gone above and beyond. He has he's blown us away with this one. So so. With the table set, we need to be sipping on something Mm. that works uh, with this. Before I start reading this, Jason, I'm glad you picked the bottle I did. Got our... Uh, single cast nation Mike Walsh Lafroy, 22 years in sherry. Not, not a bad whiskey to, to read this letter on. So here we go from Dr. Matt Bishop. Dear Jason and Joshua, and he's already got me upset because he, he knows. If anybody knows that it's Joshua and Jason, <sighs> but his email said. Joshua and Jason. Oh, so, so he's, okay. So he's, he's playing the field here. There you go. There you go. All right. He's an equal opportunity offender. After the scientific themes of my previous machinations, I thought that for my 2022 mailbag entry, I would turn my attention to a more literary and more philosophical question concerning the world of whiskey. Filling a brief hiatus in pad cost offerings for my daily commute to Edinburgh, I listened to an audiobook version of George Orwell's classic allegorical tale, Animal Farm. It's been over 30 years since I read this novel as a teenager at high school, and I wondered whether it would have a different meaning to me now. For the nation listeners of the podcast that may not have read the book, it's a tale of an English farm that is taken over by rebellious animals led by a pig called Napoleon. From the beginning, all the animals are equal in humans, the enemy. But the story ends with the pigs asserting their power, wearing human clothes, walking on two trotters, and being, quote, more equal than the others. Written during World War II, it reflects the rise of communism and the struggle of the working classes. What about whiskey? I hear you cry. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, <laughs> as a teenage reader, any mention of whiskey in the story would not have held my interest, but now pricks my senses. I love his use of the word pricks. The animals of Animal Farm kicked out Mr. Jones, the farmer, as he was often drunk and treated them harshly, and whiskey was his drink of choice. I have no doubt that George Orwell chose whiskey, as at that time it was drunk of the wealthier classes, and it was therefore no surprise to show just how, quote, human Napoleon and his band of megalomaniac. Oof, me- megalomaniacal, ooh, that's a good word, megalomaniacal pigs had become, George, George Orwell wrote, quote, That night there was the sound of uproarious singing, which was followed by what sounded like a violent quarrel and ended at about 11 o'clock with a tremendous crash of glass. No one stirred in the farmhouse before noon on the following day, and the world went round that from somewhere or other, the pigs had acquired the money to buy themselves another case of whiskey. End quote. Mm-hmm. So, comrades Jason and... Ooh, comrades Joshua and Jason. Look at that. I just assumed he would say Jason and Joshua because of how he opened it. But he really is an, an equal opportunity uh, offender and confuser. Here is this year's mailbag question from me to you. What if George Orwell was actually writing not about class struggle or the rise of communism, but about the battle between old-fashioned, outdated, blended whiskey market and the new dawn of the single malt age? Is it just a coincidence that when Napoleon and the other pigs made themselves the ruling elite, they rose up onto their hind legs and kept walking. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Discuss. And then he he says, uh, oh, that's so good. He says, I am as ever in your debt for the joy you have brought me over these troubled months cannot be repaid. From Joshua's cherubic chuckles to Jason's wizardic wanderings, I thank you both for your time and effort in such a simple thing as a pad cost. Yours, Dr. Matt, East Linton, Scotland. Let me just say it's always the Wizardic <laughs> with Matt. It's always to the Wizardic. Uh, so what I love, what I love about this correspondence is the whole purpose of this treatise mm-hmm. was for Dr. Matt to make that keep walking joke. Like, I know that when he was listening to this audio book on his commute, as soon as he heard kept walking, the mind started, the the cogs started turning Mm -hmm. in his mind. And he, and I'm deeply honored that he thought of sharing it with us. (laughs) Samesies. He has an interesting number in here. This, it had been 30 years since he read it in school as a teenager. It's been 30 years since I wrote a high school treatise that was titled Oppression and Depression in three George Orwell novels. And I chose 1984, Animal Farm and the Road to Wigan Pier. Wow. And at that age, I was just watching Terry Jones (laughs) say, help, I'm being repressed. So I, I think the evidence speaks for itself. I, I think the fact that the, the pigs rise on their hind legs and keep walking, I think Orwell p- 
positioned. I know he wrote 1984 on Jura. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure where he wrote Animal Farm, but I, I think it's pretty obvious that he was articulating a position on the incoming single malt versus blended battle. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt. What year was this written? <laughs> written during Second World War. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's written during the Second World War. Uh, so I would say uh, no, because there wasn't single malt then. There were independent bottlers. But it was still blends at that time. Like I, I, I like this idea and and how fun it could be because I, I think you can find some parallels, right? There's, there's something to be said. <laughs> so well, right. So so let's. This is, we are meant to be philosophical. So as the philosopher, Jason, what, what say you? Who who's the human? Who's the pig here? If this were. In the case of of blends into single malts, are the single malts the pigs? You, like, oof, oof. That's no. Now it's going to get controversial. I, I was going to make a much less controversial point, which is, I think Doctor Matt is convinced that you are the the farmer uh, in this like company me specifically. You you play the allegorical farmer in this company. All right. Where you are the the drunk vicious one. <laughs> <laughs> wow! If only and, and, you knew. And treats oh. and treats me harshly. Oh my gosh, people! If only you knew how I was treated in this company. If only you knew. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow! 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 Poor Listen, that 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 was that was. Tremendous, absolutely tremendous. I, I love that exercise uh, by Dr. Matt. But, 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 if Dr. Matt really went above and beyond with the PDF format, mm-hmm. which, is that like saying pin number? Is that is that an abortion on stilts? It is because it's a portable document format. No, portable file. document file. file. It's a file. Yeah. So it'd be, yeah, it's not like yeah. MSDS or ATM so, so I can I can say thanks to him sending this in PDF format. You could just say thanks for sending the PDF. Oh, but you want to specify. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying here, Jason. All I'm trying to specify is that he went above and beyond. Two other people who went above and beyond are Michael and Bonnie Nolan, mm-hmm. who not only sent us literally 6,342 questions, <laughs> but also sent a gift and i know joshua how incredibly strong your fomo is and you received this gift a full 24 hours before i did full 24 hours full and it's been crushing me that i've been waiting 24 hours to open this so do you do you have this gift oh, i have it to hand to hand that I have it to hand each of us has so let's let's describe it, seeing as this is an audio gift. So let me tell you, when I received it, <laughs> can I can I say it looks like a box of chocolates? So you had said it looks like a box of chocolates. I looked at the shape of it and I thought, did someone send me a Led Zeppelin box set? Like it has that size of like you know multiple albums oh, for vinyl. Yeah, for vinyl. Because right? I, 
I have the Led Zeppelin box set, but it's on CD. Ah, uh, see, no, I got it on vinyl because I it doesn't look anything like music. This. Yeah. I spent so many years smashing vinyl. Once Elvis came along and oh, he was, you know, disrupting the youth. Yep. I just got into vinyl smashing. You'd want you'd want to talk about a wonderful hobby. Vinyl smashing is terrific. That's the name terrific. of my new band, Vinyl Smashing. Um, That's why I'm going to get into book banning next. So. <laughs> oh, don't be so mousy. So here we go. So <laughs> so it's 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 about. 15 by 15 somewhere around there and it's I, I, i'm telling you dude yeah. your your comment that it looks like a stack of vinyl is a hundred percent i'm starting to change my own mind that it's a box of chocolates and now i'm starting to think it's a stack of vinyl <laughs> all right let's let's get to ripping oh and really quickly so it mine mm-hmm. says on it please open with jason on both the front and and the back please open with jason <laughs> And mine says this, please open with Joshua. There we go. Yep, there we go. All right. Oh, this is beautifully wrapped. This is spectacular. Okay, we're trying to get slide it out at the same time. This chocolate. Have you seen it yet? No. I'm trying to slide it like a sleeve, and I don't have a place for purchase. You're supposed to drop it like it's hot. That's that's the problem. It's a box <laughs> within a package. So mine has a letter on it. Does yours? Oh boy. Does yours have a letter? Oof! I need a cigarette after opening that. So, so the letter says, Joshua, please open when you are with Jason. Yes, FaceTime, Zoom, any other electronic means is acceptable. And then the letter. Mine, mine says the same. Beautiful. Opening the card. Oh gosh, when people thank me for things. I'm I'm always taken aback. And uh, so it's a thank you card. Thank you so much. And my letter. Do you want? Yeah, you read your letter first. You you read your letter first. Mine says thank you for your friendship, love, palette, and for providing whiskey to us through the year. Through the years, love, Michael and Bonnie. Uh, congrats on 10 years. There you go. Mine oh, says beautiful. the same. Mine says the same. So there you go. Oh, so kind, so wonderful. They and now we're going to open oh this gosh. box. Oh, my gosh. That was wrapped in ribbon. Have you Have you opened it? Yeah. So I, I'm just, just lifting the corners. Right, I haven't looked inside. I haven't looked inside. I'm going to lift the corners. <laughs> Okay. And now my lid is off. I'm looking. Right. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so it's it's a book. It's a book. It's wrapped in plastic. It has the single cast nation logo on it. And it says Ten Years of of SCN or How to Start a Whiskey Community in Three Easy Steps. Oh, oh my Gosh. Wonderful. Jeepers Wonderful. creepers. Jason, I, <laughs> I'm going to start crying. This is really this is really something else. Uh, have you opened yours this yet? This is so cool. Yeah, mine, mine wasn't actually wrapped in cellophane. Oh, okay. I got straight to looking and reading. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Holy crap. So it's... It's course. It's a full Whoa. story. It's a full story. 
with pictures <laughs> and labels and uh, more pictures. The 2015 and- Chicago Whiskey Jubilees wow. in here. The 2016 Whiskey Geek Tours with Barrel Thiefer in here. Uh, Holy moly. Look, at, look at all these pictures. 2015 Chicago Jubilee. There's James Foster. There's Liz and Natalie. Graham. Michael. Aaron. Jess is in there. Sweet Scott. <laughs> Bino. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Lars Bull. Look at that. Christopher Grombeck, Uzel. Oh, oh my Grom- gosh. This even has the, the Laughing Frog. Uh, oh, my gosh. It's got the Woodcut series labels in it. Holy shit. This is insane. Oh, my. Can we license this from them and sell it? I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words here. Like, this is... <laughs> Oh, I just found a note from Dr. Matt Lurin, oh, as right. opposed to Dr. Oh, Matt Bishop. Stephen London, Marshall Naiman. Oh, wow. <laughs> ben Weldy. Aaron Krause. So he interviewed people and put their quotes in here. <laughs> oh, my. F- Jason. This is unbelievable. This is... I am... Oh. This is absolutely <laughs> you know remarkable. How? Absolutely remarkable. So do you know how perfect this is? So the, the book opens with you and I, arms around each other, yeah. Whiskey Geek Tours jackets on. That's it, at Bonahaven yep. in 2017. Mm-hmm. And have you looked at how the book closes? I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. It's the very <laughs> next photo in the series. It's the same picture, but the time where I grabbed your ass instead. <laughs> now my now my butt is in your left hand, and As and it closes usual. with Michael and Bonnie Nolan saying, "Congratulations on ten years of friendship and good booze. We love you guys and look forward to the next thirty six years." Of SCN. Double high. Oh, my gosh. Uh, a million thanks. Michael Bonnie. That is unbelievable. We lo- unbelievable. Yeah. We love you both dearly. Thank you so, so much for this. This is, this is going to... This is going to lull me into the most perfect sleep tonight. I cannot wait to read through this. <laughs> cannot wait. Holy crap. Oh my, my <laughs> word. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you follow that? I, Should we, here, here's what we'll do. Yeah. We'll, we'll just, we'll raise a couple. Michael Nolan is a, is a wonderful human being and he is very much of the mindset. <laughs> if you don't ask the question, it won't get answered. Oh, that's true. That's true. And if, yeah. and if somebody doesn't want to answer it, they simply won't answer it. So he raised something that I thought was really wonderful uh, in amongst his you know 6,000 plus questions, which is, when are you going to interview Moana McAuliffe mm. regarding your longtime friendship and collaboration in making iconic SCN and Jubilee labels? We would really like to know what goes into the creative process between the three of you when it comes to original ideas and the imagery that goes into creating these labels. 
I think the answer to that is I'm texting Mo later and seeing when she has free time because what a great idea. She, we There's so much we wouldn't have if it weren't for, for Mo's art and her vision. And so that's a brilliant idea, Michael. Thank you. Yep. Wow. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah, that, that's definitely going to happen. Um, he also says, when will the second Glenn Burgie be released? Haven't we waited long enough? <laughs> um, he, he has one question here that I'm actually going to close out the mailbag episode with. I apologize. There are a bunch of questions mm-hmm. we simply did not get to, but we're about to have a season six. Yep. Yeah, and exactly. exactly. We, will, we will bring up questions that were missed for a fair few episodes. Uh, we'll have a lovely, lovely time with that. Michael Nolan says, now that you have 10 years into Single Cast Nation, please look back and share some highlights. What were your hopes and dreams for SCM when you started? Has the company progressed as you hoped it would? Has the community that you set out to build materialized? That is a million percent yes. That community has materialized Mm -hmm. beyond our wildest dreams. Has the loyal fan base that you have created surprised you? Also, yes. Mm -hmm. Also a million times, yes. Did you expect the community to grow as much as it has? And then we have Dan Gryson, uh, you know, again, another chap who who doesn't hesitate to write in and it's wonderful hearing from Dan. And he has a much longer email, but he says, put yourself 10 or 15 years into the future. As you look back in time to 2021, what do you think will stand out most to you? What will be your main theme or connection to this time? Will it be the pandemic, maybe tariffs? What about the birth of American single malt as a defined category? Maybe the growth of world whiskey in general or the continued addition of distilleries in Scotland? Sorry, not trying to lead the witnesses, so to speak. I think it could be any one of these or none of these. Maybe there's something else we will look back upon. I know for sure, I hope... It is not the pandemic, and I want to believe it won't be, but a good fun topic to discuss for sure. So, as you two are sitting in your rocking chair sharing a dram in 2035, what will you remember most of 2021? So, we're getting out of here on these kinds of reflections. Michael's curious about the 10 years of the company. Dan is specific about 2021 so if you can try try and give us a couple something from the recent history and something from 2021 and i'll give a a thought to two similar answers wow the thing i'm about to say i want to make sure i'm i'm using the right words because i don't want to offend anyone in any way (laughs) and but i i think that this could very much be an answer to both questions simultaneously. Okay. There was an episode a while back, an extra, extra episode, right? Where there were shop owners complaining about behavior of, of certain whiskey fanatics, right? Who were just kind of being the ugly, you know, the ugly American or the, or the ugly representative of that community, right? Being a jerk to the retailer. Where's the bottle? I know you have it. Where's the price? Well, you know, all this stuff. I think one of the things that 
I really derive the most pride from and, and happiness from as I look back. And I hope I'll do the same 20 or so years from now, looking back at 2021, is that somehow, some way, shape, or form, we have created a community that is everything but the ugly representation of those within that hobby. Everybody within our community has been so nice and sharing. And even when we have lotteries, and there are people who say, you know what, I decided to step back because I won the previous one. I want to give someone else a chance, right? Or someone mm-hmm. said, ooh, I missed out. And, and, and someone will say, I got samples. You know, I'm, I'm happy to share it, you know, something like that. There's a certain camaraderie that I think that we've strived to we strive to create an environment that would allow for such camaraderie and we continue to nurture it and ensure that you know no ugliness gets in because it it, it can happen even even from the best people you know we've all been ugly at times right but we try to if i don't get a fair mutation i'm going to cut someone <laughs> exactly exactly you've just become the ugly person there but but that's it i you know i look back and i just I think to something you and I said this a while ago, and and we said it kind of jokingly. It was, you know, we're not sure if we would have ever gotten in the business of whiskey if we knew we had to deal with customers. The fact of the matter is we're happy dealing with our customers because they're Mm -hmm. all damn good Mm -hmm. people. We don't have that complaint. Everybody, for the most part, are so understanding, so helpful, so connected with one another. And, and what we have on Facebook, which is really just a small part of the community, is a good reflection of what we've helped create. So I think that is, that is it. It's the community. It's the people. It's always back to the people for me. Yeah, my answer is a perfect mirror of that. It's the C word that we are allowed to use, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the people yeah right the the whiskey has brought the people together mm-hmm. but it's the people who will be remembered long after the whiskey has all been consumed 100 percent i yeah a thousand percent sorry and to that we talk about the community that is the nation in the united states and that's where we've traveled the most and done shows the most and seen people the most. But we also have a community that's building behind the independent bottling offerings through Jess and through Elijah in Canada and Sweden Mm -hmm. and Germany and Israel and Japan. And we desperately, desperately want to get to Australia and New Zealand and many, many, many other parts of the world. And until that day, we have this increasing community around one nation under whiskey. So even if we're not on your local store shelves, we are in your ears. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's an incredible privilege to be invited on your commutes and into your ears when you're working out or you're going about your daily business. It's 
unbelievable where people have invited us to hang out with them. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I just I just hope no one incorporates our podcast into the lovemaking. I mean, that could just get a little weird. Uh, I hate to be controversial, Joshua, but I hope they do. <laughs> if, if someone... Well, gosh, you, you could have a two and a half hour session with your loved one just listening to oh this podcast gosh. in your ears. Oh my gosh. Right. And, you know, at, at any given point, you say it's always to the penis for you. It could be like a drinking game, right? <laughs> maybe maybe your partner will be dripping with questions by the end of your session together. Pour your questions on me in the name of love. I'm hot, stick and sweet. From the head to my feet now. Sorry. Should we get out of here on that? <laughs> Let's get out of here on that. Jason, this has been a great way to spend an afternoon slash evening. And to Michael Nolan, to Dan Grison, to to Dr. Matt, to to Mikey, to to everyone who wrote in, James Foster. Um, we, we really <laughs> appreciate you all taking the time to ask questions and uh, it really means a lot so cheers to you all i'm gonna throw in Ooh. a final word Ooh. tamara was it ari was asking earlier about bringing the wives back on the yeah, podcast yeah. because you and i are still going you know two and a half hours into this tamara texted your poor listeners have other things in their lives you know <laughs> with a smiley emoji and my response is, no, they don't. And that's why we love them and they love us. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.